Hi, guys. My name is Frank McCormick, and I'm here with my co-host, Paul Rossi, and this is Chalkboard Heresy. We are a show dedicated to talking about education, uh, bringing teachers on, listening to their stories, and really whatever else comes into the mix. Uh, we're here today with Theo Olson, and Theo was a teacher and uh, until Black Lives Matter decided that he couldn't be a teacher anymore. And he may be, uh, I think, Paul, as you said, the most canceled man in America. Um, which... Canceled harder and earlier, I would say. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, canceled hard and many times. And um, I've wanted to bring Theo on because I have a lot of respect for Theo because he was canceled, I would say, before it became almost fashionable in a sense. It's kind of become like a badge of honor now. And there's a lot more support when you are canceled. Um, I felt when I, you know, spoke out against my school district, I had kind of a small army on Twitter. And Paul, I know you had a lot of support uh, as well. And Theo, you didn't. So Theo, do you want to uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, maybe your background, what you're doing now? Um, what, really, whatever you want, how you got into teaching? Yeah, thanks, Frank. It's great to see you again. Paul, it's great to see you too. Um, I follow you guys and I look to you as uh, beacons of rationality um, in this insane world that we live in right now. Um, in, uh, in my background, I encountered Black Lives Matter um, piling onto me in 2016 in February. Um, and uh, no, there was no such thing as being canceled. Um, I think that we used all kinds of other words like dogpiling and getting mobbed, uh, mauled, um, tarred and feathered, ridden out on a rail. People were, people were obviously canceled in history long before me. People were canceled around the time. People were attempted to be canceled. Um, I think at the time that it happened to me, Nicholas Christakis out in the out at uh, wherever he was, Yale, his wife was was mobbed by, and he then for defending her for Halloween costumes or something like that in 2015. Um, I think that um, who who else was prominent at that time? It was there was uh, Milo Yiannopoulos mobbed. For, for something that he had said about about his sexual experiences around, but it, it came like at the same time. Um, but you, your experience was unique in that you weren't looking for any type of provocation. You weren't, you know, asking oh, for it in any sense. I, I I think I was looking to absolutely puncture the hot air balloon. Of, oh, okay. Of, of pressure, I I think that that. Um, I was a perfect um, poster boy for the for the cancel culture movement because I have such a big mouth and I don't I don't take kindly to being told to shut up. Um, I don't like authority mandating that I do an untenable job of closing achievement gaps that cannot be closed with say. And I worked with special education kids um, with say a kid who who has speech and cognitive and is confined to a wheelchair having to do graduation um, requirements by a certain age with um, 
with kids who have been through ultra violent situations at home, um, I, I just knew that nobody knew what was going on in the classroom um, around. Okay, so let me take so, it so, back. So yeah, bring us yeah, like, go ahead. What's your, where, um, where are you teaching? What grade level? What's your, your day to day life? like and um you know then then what happened what what started yeah. uh, the controversy um well there, there's obviously a long backstory and then there's a short backstory the short backstory being that that um on in a facebook group on february 29 2016 i snapped it was a group of parents and union members up for saint paul public schools um, 2000 plus members and I said would anyone care to explain to me the school to prison pipeline that I have supposedly not done enough to interrupt because if you can't show it to me and um, then you seriously owe us teachers an apology um, I picked that I picked that item on purpose it was one of a myriad of topics that I could have brought up but I said that in an angry snap and um, parents immediately who had no kids in my school, who have nothing to do with me, don't know me at all, are saying, do you really have no idea what the school to prison pipeline is? Come on, dude. Um, and, and I said, no, you don't know what, what's going on. Kids are using their iPads for bullying, for drug dealing, for setting up beatdowns, um, for a, a whoring train. We had had an incident that I couldn't talk about at the time where the entire football team at Como Park Senior High School had received blowjobs from a, a girl, a white girl, and it had been settled. And when I mentioned that, it's because I heard that term in my, um, in my co-taught science class. And um, we were dealing with all, the, with all the insanity and fallout with, with kids girls screaming at boys and slapping them around um because they were furious at boys for having participated in this and we had no idea what was going on until i heard about it and so anyway those two facebook posts that i posted were the short story um the leader of black lives matter entered my classroom and said he wanted to talk to me he was trespassing then he accused me and, and then he walked away so was this and like said, the what? next day or like a few days the next later? day the next, the next day, day. he came yeah. in and, and said he wanted to talk to you. He wanted to talk to me. I had class going on. I had some disabled kids in my class and I recognized his face. And, um, and then I um, thought, hold on, what's he doing here? And I followed him and he just walked out of the library where, I, where my office was located in a conference room and, and he left. And, um, and then he posted on Facebook that I had called the cops on him. I mean, so many, so many misunderstandings. I, I never called the cops on him. I talked to my principal about his invasion of my room and I talked to our SRO, our school resource officer. And they're like, oh no, this is never gonna happen again. We're not allowing that. Um, and uh, I later invited him out for coffee which he ignored and then he invited me out for coffee and i was like after he posted that i that i called the cops on him i am not going out for coffee with this guy he is a known stalker um he's got a very uh a very perp-like background um and um and uh i'm not gonna name him but 
he's, he's not a healing, he's not a unifying dude. He's still around. Anyway, but, but what, what could possibly set this up in 20, late in wintertime 2015, 2016, is that our district was uh, in a crucible-like situation, just ready to blow. We, um, you know, of course, the whole country had been, um, had been in the urban, urban public school districts, had been trying to close the achievement gap. And I remember, uh, you know, in the late 90s, we were too. We had this thing called multiculturalism and diversity. And then after uh, No Child Left Behind in the 2000s, we just focused, focused, focused on diversity and this term equity, which hadn't really been used prior to the 2000s too much anyway. And then in 2009, St. Paul Public Schools hired Glenn Singleton out of San Francisco, his group, Pacific Education Group, um, AKA curriculum known as Courageous Conversation, to um, solve the problem at a cost of $1.3 million to the taxpayers of St. Paul. Um, it so started the, as- The, the yeah. community is already angry and riled up about the racial inequality they yeah kids left behind yeah kids left behind low test scores um high numbers of black kids being um being suspended sent to the office Mm -hmm. which has always been the case and so when same yeah it was the same at my school too i mean yeah yeah um after we hired three different companies to try and help close the achievement gap and um and you know hired them on one year dropped them tried a new one dropped them and then tried courageous conversation in 2009 with all of their binders and binders of of tips and ideas and um really scapegoating of pale people i hate to use the racial terms because i don't really believe in race i'm over it um i'm post-racial um like uh this professor from out east i forget her name um I forget like, her name. Is that Sheena, Ma- Dr. Sheena Mason? Oh, Sheena, Sheena Mason. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And um, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And Camille Foster. And I just was, mm-hmm. I just, at the time, I, I felt like more information would help rather than continuing to preserve this um, silo of, uh, of abuse and of, and of really terroristic tactics being carried out in my school. Um, they stripped kids IEPs of their rights. I was at this time a special ed teacher for 10 years and they stripped kids individual education plans of their accommodations and forced all kids, no matter what their disability was, into regular education classes without our support. And then we became kicked to the curb as um, babysitters in our building. Um, they closed our in-school suspension room and they started paying principals to not suspend kids of color. Um, can I ask Theo, can I ask, yeah. is this, was this because of the movement against tracking in some ways? Like, was it the idea that somehow if you segregate children based on, based on their learning differences, that is somehow doing them an injustice or stigmatizing them in any way? Is that, is that the, the logic behind that? Or was it, was it, was it not even articulated that way? Not even articulated, yeah. but that you, there's no doubt that they did not want to track kids on academics or behavior. There's no doubt that there's always, you're, you're boots on the ground when you're in a school, but you don't know what the thinking is behind what they're ramming down your throat. And I know that they did not want to 
certainly didn't want to track suspensions or or referrals of kids to the office um because which of were, the racial disparity because, right the racial because you see mm-hmm. that that black students are uh suspended at a higher rate um right yeah and they there, there's yeah i mean there's two arguments one is that they they misbehave at a higher rate and one is that there's systemic racism and teachers are out to get them right we, we had the same um, obviously the same thing at my school yeah they've never ever attempted to produce the racists that are responsible for these um huge numbers of disparities in referrals to the office they have said that it was racism and and have never attempted to find the racist so um how convenient is that to have uh to have this straw man solution to an argument that that has nobody who's who's ever been responsible for any of it um and 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 i can just hear these people on the other side going oh oh, oh, you want to bet um oh there's so many racists oh racism is everywhere even my pale colleagues um will say oh it's it's in me it's in it's in the water it's everywhere theo what are you talking about racism is so systemic and baked in and but nobody ever produces it they they just say it's it's on you to um to find it in yourself you know um and i'm not going to do it for you so educate yourself that was kind of the attitude so so let when me, we ha- so you've got yeah. this this environment where there's there's it sounds like racial tension around disparities there's this high school incident with the white girl i'm assuming a lot of black students that kind of added to the mix and you Mm -hmm. have misbehavior in the school um with kind of uh, very clear disparities existing that you can't talk about and then you come along online and you know you're a white guy and you make this comment that basically says put put some onus on the students like or the families in the community like there's there's a school to prison pipeline there's a family to prison pipeline a gangbanger to prison pipeline or drugs to prison pipeline but but the school if anything is is stopping that and the the black lives matter he comes in your school walk us through what happens then because i'm gonna we're gonna put some pictures up and show people um i we can show them right now um and you know there's massive protests there's people showing up at the school board meeting yelling about yeah demanding your blood so how did it get to that point what what happened um i would say that within within a few hours um the the post that i made had 30 to 50 comments on it wow um and i and it was a long very interesting educational thread i was i was quite interested in in teaching um bystanders all these you know good-hearted parents what actually happens in a school what leads up to all of these riots we had riots in our parking lot of 30 to 50 kids this is a school that is is an urban school where the white population is 30 percent 30 percent of the school um blacks were 33 percent of the school asians we have a large southeast asian population and african and and smaller hispanic and indigenous population in the school but but um we had we had riots we had um teachers shoved around we had handguns um a couple of handguns um anyway back to within a day 
when the leader of Black Lives Matter comes to my room, they start they start um, issuing ultimatums. Either you fire Theo Olson or we are gonna shut down that school. So BLM um, says they're going to march on our school and shut it down. And um, I immediately, as an experienced teacher, had gone to my principal already to talk about this and, and the trespass. And um, so she knew, my black principal knew, um, our Southeast Asian SRO, he knew what was going on. And um, within, I still, got to, I still got to teach for a week. I was still teaching until March 7th when I was walked out of the building, gave, gave up my badge, keys, and laptop, and was shut out of all data on March 7th, 2016. But, um, but what was going because on Because of was, the demands of, of Black Lives Matter, they, they caved in and oh right the oh well BLM could do no wrong you know if you if you said that there was racism going on you don't need to prove anything you don't need to you've got this pale guy me who's it doesn't matter whatever credentials that I have I may have worked with a a eighty five percent impoverished population totally diverse our building is totally diverse. Um, and our, our faculty is, you know, largely white, which is, which is too bad, but so what, you know, um, I don't buy the fact that, that um, I don't buy this representation is, is necessary um, dictum that's put out there all the time that, you know, I can't see myself in my teacher, so I can't learn from you. Um, we've been fed that since the 1990s, and I was over that. I was done with that anyway, but within a week all of these posts had been going back and forth about getting the olson fired and then five people from the community none of whom had any kids at our school met with the superintendent was i invited no and then they learned that i had a blog going on this blog which i've been reading out loud as a as a serial novel um since i've been writing it since 2014 they came upon that and then they accused me of racism you know absolute uh, absolute um appropriation and use of african-american uh, vernacular english because i portrayed a fictional world in which a teacher struggles to meet the needs of kids hmm. um but on on march 7th <laughs> on march 7th i am i am to meet with my boss in the office and she comes to get me um, this is when I'm about to be walked out. And as we pass a hallway, a computer lab teacher is being beaten on in the hallway by two black boys. Computer lab teacher is white. Um, there had been a drug deal collection going on in his lab that he interrupted and he gently escorted them out to the hallway. And, and then things got physical. Kids are sitting out there with their laptops or their iPads and, and it got videoed. And I'm actually in the background of the video um i'm being brought to the office because i have mentioned that there are drug deals being set up on ipads and social media at this point our our devices weren't really locked down so kids could do all kinds of stuff on their ipads anyway drug deals <laughs> and here's a drug deal that's being interrupted by a guy and and we go towards the incident, we break it up. He gets a concussion uh, from hitting the floor at the back of his head. Um, 
the kids are suspended. He goes to the hospital and somebody's got to sub for him. Well, I sub for him. So I took over his class for the rest of the hour. And when the bell rang and class was over and there was something else going on in his room, I was to report to the office to um, answer to the accusations that I had written that there are drug deals going on on social media. Anyway, so now, it, now they're it just looking defies. for anything to get you. I mean, now it's like. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, you couldn't ask for a more uh, crazy confluence of, of events. I think, you know, if, if you break it down, on the ground, the the nuts and bolts of what happened to me didn't have any names for for what was going on. Um, what happened to Brett Weinstein was a whole year later, 2017 April. Um, what happened to Jordan Peterson over Bill C-16 was September 2016. But what happened to me in February of 2016 was it didn't really have any names for it. There we weren't. We'd never talked about critical race theory. Um, as I say, you, you, when, a, when a policy is changing, you're, if you're a teacher, you don't know what it's about necessarily unless you're doing continuous ongoing education and you read a little Derek Bell or you read, read a little Kimberly Crenshaw and you become kind of into intersectional theory and um, the school to prison pipeline purported by the new Jim Crow and and we're all kind of like samplers, you know, it's, you, you, as an educator, which I'm not bragging is one of the lowest, um, the lowest uh, degrees in the, the academy that in all the social sciences, you're, you're not expected to know much about theory. So all I know is that, is that we were we were threatened with terroristic tactics of make it happen or else you're out of your job. I was prior to this, I had been threatened that if I didn't make things happen, I would be fired. Mm -hmm. um, and I was under a lot of pressure. So, and, and when you say make things happen, do you mean reduce these disparities, which are, you know, dependent on all these different factors you can't control or is it, is it, is that what it um, is? I had gone to the office. What it was about was, what it was about was I wanted to adjust the curriculum for a reading level of my kids that I was teaching who were below the fourth grade level in fluency. And I went to the office because I had written to my special ed supervisor that the material that I had been mandated and was piloting at Como Park Senior High School to deliver was missing half of my caseload. They, they were reading at kindergarten first grade level these senior high kids, they were seriously disabled in, in uh, fluency. They could not handle stuff that started at the fourth grade level and went up to 12th grade level. So what happened there was that she, she and my boss and my principal, you know, you have multiple bosses. Um, she said, your scholars, she used the term scholars, which was a big deal then, had been for three years or so, were achieving and we will find the data to prove it, Theo. So I turned my iPad around and I showed her, here's their scores. They're not achieving with this mandated curriculum. And I was the pilot of this program. She had asked me to do it. And I said, but, but here's their grades and here's the assignments that they've turned in. They're not able to do fourth grade material. That's why I'm augmenting with this other stuff that you won't even let me augment with it. So it was really a specific, Mm. curriculum-based decision. We also had like a, 
anti-bullying month going on. And she um, objected to my saying two girls needed to be out of my class. And I said, well, they're also bullying this very, very, um, this very vulnerable girl in the class. And she was upset at me because I wanted to remove them because they were black and the victim was white. And anyway, there, you know, it gets down to a lot of, a lot of nuts and bolts, but, but overall, when you're told to do this or else feel we will find somebody to do your job for you um because your scholars are achieving it it becomes an untenable mind-blowing uh crucible uh situation it and makes I, you crazy doesn't it i mean that well, was yeah. very very similar to my school i mean you feel like you're losing your mind you're being gaslighted um and and your supervisors know nothing about what you're trying to accomplish and right. the realities of the kids. I'd done home visits. It's not like I had no clue uh, about my kids' backgrounds. I knew that they were that they were roughly handled by cops on the east side of St. Paul. I they told me. I knew if they were in gangs, half my kids were in gangs. I knew if they were pregnant. I knew if they um had a clothing line online that they that they designed and sold. I knew where they slept last night just like you probably did. Um, and they knew that I had their backs. And after I got in trouble, my, my um, kids, some of, most of them black, would come up to me and say, Mr. Olson, they just don't know you like we do. And I was like, I, I was very grateful for the support that I got from my kids, some of whom still talk to me today. Um, well, so to so wrap it up. What happened at the school board meeting and, and how did they oh, yeah. get rid of you? <clears throat> They, um, uh, what happened was our local news reporter for the St. Paul Pioneer Press mined my blog that I had deactivated. Um, and um, I had over 500 pieces in there, probably 40 of which were about uh, stories that I was making up as I went for three years about kids. And he mined them and he handed them off to a school board member. And the school board member was very, very familiar with this leader of Black Lives Matter. And within 24 hours, Black Lives Matter had my blog and printed it out, printed six, 60 pages of it out and handed it out at the school board meeting, which was in March, 2016, to get me fired. And, and of course, a huge shouting match ensued. I wasn't there. Um, I had been uh, told by my own union lawyer to stay away. You know, I was, of course, told you can't set foot on school property. You can't talk to any of your colleagues. Um, I was afraid to even text um, my, my cohort, my special ed cohort to, to ask how are the kids doing um, because somebody might pass it on and it could be traced and then I could be in further violation of, of my suspension and fired. And I didn't want to be fired. I eventually was um, suspended after that March school board meeting. Uh, well, the suspension, um, it, it, I think it took until May. I sat there within like a silo of no information, nobody talking to me, my lawyer not talking to me. And this is a union lawyer. This is not a privately, this is somebody I paid through through my union dues. Um, and uh, then I was made a, a long, then I was made a, a sub around the district and um, I substituted by the summertime I was placed <laughs> I was placed at a middle school where the where the new leader 
of Black Lives Matter was a teacher's assistant. This woman is now on the school board at St. Paul Public Schools. She is, she is um, writing tripe about me. She's talking about Theo Olson being a racist all over social media. And she's at this school that they placed me at. Well, by this time I had been looking for a couple dozen jobs and landed one elsewhere in the Southeast suburbs called South Washington County. They hired me. I had, I had told people where, what happened to me and, and um, you know, the desperation for finding special ed candidates was very strong. Um, but to this particular school district, um, they didn't vet me at all. I, I got hired. I think I didn't tell them what happened to me. And well, no, I know I, I, I didn't, I told everybody else that I did not tell South Washington. They hired me. And then when I saw some stocking tweets about me saying, well, it shouldn't be too hard to find out where Theo Olson works. He's got a new job. Um, I went to her and I talked to her. It was, it was workshop week in August, 2016. And I told her, um, you know who I am, right? <laughs> Cause, uh, you, you might receive some phone calls from people, I'm assuming, that will tell you that, that I'm the Theo Olson from St. Paul Schools who, who uh, got in trouble. And she went, what, what are you talking about? Um, she had put in a call to my boss, didn't get my boss on the phone, but hired me anyway. Um, and so then she went to HR. They put me on paid, paid leave. They fired me. Um, and then I got a job at a charter school. I lasted there about eight weeks. They fired me. Um, and then I, I think uh, middle of 2017, I finally got a job in Cook County, the Northeast tip called the Arrowhead region of Minnesota, about 250 miles away. And my um, principal up there said, you know, Theo, a lot of people would say, don't hire you um, because you're a racist. I wanna know, are you a racist or what? <laughs> And I was like, praise <laughs> Jesus, somebody actually asked me, you know, because there's so much innuendo. And I went, no, my God, I've, I've worked, I prefer to work in an urban setting with, with a, a rainbow diverse crowd. Uh, and um, he goes, good, good. Um, just do the best you can. Glad to have you aboard. Um, and so he hired me. And then around the middle of the year, um, he quit under pressure because the N-word had been used among kids at the school. We had like four kids in the entire building of K through 12, a contiguous, long Rambler style building. It's a very sparse county up there. Um, <laughs> anyway, some of my native kids called a black kid the N-word, and then the word got out that there's racism in Cook County schools in Grand Marais, Grand Marais, Minnesota. I'm living up there in a guy's bedroom. My wife and daughter are still at home. Um, and I'm going back and forth each weekend, <laughs> coming back on Sunday nights, managing my caseload of sixth through 12th grade graders with disabilities. And um, I was like, I am not, I have nothing to do with this situation. Um, by the end of February of 2018, um, I was called into the office and um, I, I'm leaving out a lot. I know it's a long story. This, it doesn't fit the narrative right back here. This is the title of my story. It's three, it's oh, 3000 word plus tract about what happened. They fired me on in March of 2018. 
And then as I get home, um, when I get home from the Northeastern Minnesota, I get a letter from the Board of Teaching that they are suspending my license due to racist and controversial remarks that I've made two years prior to that. And so I'm answering in 2018 to things that happened in 2016 for the first time um, from, the, from the Board of Teaching. They suspend my license. I talk to the same attorney again because I can't afford a lawyer, um, even though I tried. I tried, I, like, I contacted like 25 law firms um, and one of them almost took my case. But anyway, my lawyer says, well, I think you should really compromise Theo and knock it down to a one-year suspension. And I said, I'm not ever compromising again. I'm going to fight this. And she said, okay. You know, and it took a year, 2019, June of 2019, I um, was approaching court case, my court case. Um, and um, and uh, all of a sudden they dropped my case and cleared my name, reinstated my license and said, you're good to go. But just never get in trouble like this again, you know. So these the Black Lives Matter activists followed you from job to job to job. Well, yeah, or Education Minnesota, our statewide teachers union, brought in up way the hell up and up by Canada. We because of of an Indian boy using the N word on a black boy. We had a racism problem. And nobody knew that it was a kid using it. Nobody knew the, the manifestation of the bullying, but we have a racism problem. And so a, a, a loose knit group on Facebook of Arrowhead Indivisible, a group that's there to reject Trump, um, <laughs> comes out of the woods, a very liberal group, and they're gonna find this racism. And, and so we hire, um, we, we hire uh, Education Minnesota, the teachers union, to come up and start teaching us about our innate white privilege. And um, <clears throat> it's, it's just wild as, it's just unbelievably wild to me. And so at one point of our sessions there in the cafeteria up there on the Minnesota frontier, a presenter says, who I don't know, says, I, Theo, I feel like I know you from somewhere. I recognize you. Have we met? And I said, no, not that I know of. But there was a, a there was my my daughter's advisor from Central High School in St. Paul Public Schools was also one of the presenters, and she recognized me too. Um, I kind of like put my hood up and walked out of the meeting and left. I was going to the bathroom anyway, but I left. But it was like a week later they called me in and fired me. So it was. It was our statewide teachers union that sort of spread the word. I, th I think, you know, in my most paranoid of dates that it was, you know, it was racism against pale people from within that decided to out me and, and strip me of my career and my livelihood. And that's the whole story. What was wow. your um, emotional, psychological state like during this how, how, did, how did it affect you? excuse me i was so depressed i was really <laughs> i was really a wreck i thought i had saved my career and my life by moving up north to the to the frontier um i thought that i was going to be okay my boss supported me up there but when 
when he left the district, I knew my days were numbered. And then when I was called in and let go, I kind of collapsed. Um, I came back to town to, to St. Paul, Minneapolis, and um, I just reeled in a very deep depression. To make money, I started taking care of a friend's um, cancer-ridden and very dementia-ridden uh, mother to get by on an hourly basis. Um, I decided to stop trying to look for more teaching jobs. I went to therapy, I went on medication, um, and I contacted uh, the Department of Displaced Workers, a branch of the unemployment office. And there was a very sweet, very indefatigable um, representative who kind of uh, taught me how to talk to people again about my skills and how to interview for a job. Uh, so between my therapist and medication and my very supportive wife, Karen, and my kids, um, Sam and Juliet, I, I got through it, but there, it was, it was really touch and go for a while. I was, I was, I was sizing up trees where I could hang myself. Um, I was thinking of ways in which I could, in which I could die. And I didn't want to be on earth anymore. Um, after I took care of this elder with dementia, I took care of another two people with dementia. Then I got a job at the post office and finally got a job and my hands got wrecked by that. Not the weight of the mail, but um, just my hands were, my hands were messed up. I've got arthritis and I got a job finally caring for patients with, um, uh, who are locked in inpatient site um, at a hospital in Minneapolis and um, primarily with adolescents kids ages like five to 18 um, who are locked up because of self-harm. And uh, so now and I, I'm just, uh, I've always been kind of geared towards that. I feel like I got to explain everything, but I've, I've always, my dad was a social worker, very liberal guy um, and a therapist. Um, I have a brother who's a psychologist. We have a lot of caregivers and writers in our family. Um, in our extended family, a lot of writers and teachers. And it just felt natural to me to be in the caregiving business again. And I've been there um, working with kids in inpatient psych for three and a half years, and I'm still there. Wow, good for you. Hey, it's, yeah. um, Thanks. Wow. I mean, what, what, it's, what strikes me about the story, Theo, is, not, is that you are a hounded man. You are a, you were pursued from job to job in a way that few people, you know, that, that, I, that I haven't heard of, of this level before. And it must, this is some, you're someone uh, who cares, obviously cares deeply about the, the kids you work with. And clearly, you know, you have, you have a real talent for the caring professions as, as it's called. And to see the, the fall upon your back, this, this, uh, scapegoating essentially which seems to me that the the essence of this problem to blame um problems on some exogenous force which is essentially tied to skin color and the other thing that i that i think is makes it a double whammy for you is you're also an artist you're a novelist you ha you were creative and you had you had fallen into the tr into the um you know, fallen under the wrath of those who are also uh, pushing this in the arts. 
so it it if if I was going to look at this intersectionally, uh, you you had this sort of double double whammy, uh, hit hit by cars from two different directions at the same time, and and you have these moral entrepreneurs that are that are essentially using um, using this as an opportunity to to grift to get big contracts and to sell their wares, peddle their wares as, as easy solutions uh, to large institutions and, and, and large government institutions. Um, yeah. It sort of like reminds me of the music man where they get, you know, we got a problem in town and it's you right, know, here in River starts City. With right here in river city and it's racism. Yeah. Um, right. So, you know, my heart goes out to you, man. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a shame that there wasn't, you know, I feel like if this had happened today, you would have had, I think a lot more support and, you know, could have networked with people like Paul and I and, and others to like make some noise and, and push back, which I think is what we're seeing. Uh, and in education specifically, you know, teachers, when they transgress against the orthodoxy, it's, it's the ultimate kind of sin because teachers are supposed to be, you know, they're the intellectual priestly caste that is supposed to uphold the sacred tenets of anti-racism of wokeness and that's what i learned and and i know paul as well is that when you challenge that man they really want to get you they really want to make an example of you and and they want to you know as you talked about you know struggling with suicidal ideation um i struggled with very deep depression um during my experience and after it because the attacks are so relentless and you learn that these people actually want to hurt you. They want you to suffer. They want you to, in many cases, like go away, die. Yeah. Like, people will write comments like kill yourself. I want oh, yeah. you like they, they, they want you to be destroyed. Oh yeah. And I had, I, yeah. I don't understand that because even the people I, vehemently disagree with and and in many cases find abhorrent i i never find myself going to a place of wishing them personal suffering of wanting to see them hurt uh and and i just found that so bizarre like people you know the attacks that, that i experienced against me and, and you're talking about you know that what you experienced is they often become so personal and irrelevant it's just they're, they're looking for weak points to exploit and they'll dig through your personal life oh yeah and and they'll try and find ways to hurt you and um they went after my kids the leader of blm went after my daughter online um she was 15 years old at the time um and these people still walk around uh trumpeting their their contracts and their publishing and their uh, with they can, there's nothing they they can say about their accomplishments other than you know the negative effects of 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 who they've gotten rid of there's nothing that they want to do that's positive or unifying at all um, this is a can you imagine if these people had more absolute political power <clears throat> on a larger scale I mean, can you imagine what what that would be like if they got kind of their, if they captured the government to the totality? If they were, if if Ibram Kendi got his Department of Anti Racism, yes, exactly. I mean, I mean, I mean these would be the people they, they want, it. Yeah. yeah, they want people to go yeah. away, 
you know, with his the right amount of power, just, they would make that happen. Yeah, his work is just so predictable and lame. Um, it, he's really tapped into a fantastic um, vein of of superficiality, and and people are obviously thirsty for it. Um, all all the purveyors of wokeness, all the all the books published. Um, and the speaking engagements, it's a huge, huge industry, you know, and it, and it was getting to be a big industry in 2016 and 17 um, with these sort of hucksters going around the country like Glenn Singleton, um, who's big in Loudoun County. Um, he's at the time he had over 220 contracts in the US in 2015. And, um, and so that's a lot. And, and it's just mushroom from there. Uh, it's a huge industry, as you guys know. It, it, it's one of the biggest budgets in any company who's the leader of DEI and belonging to DEI and B. Belonging, yeah. Theo, did yeah. your colleagues offer any support or did they turn on you? Um, they did at first. Um, our, our school was really, really corroding. Um, its, its unity was corroding. Its climate was corroding. And um, there are a few teachers who were there then who are still there now. Um, probably my closest friend left the, left the building and moved to Hong Kong. A lot of people left, left teaching altogether. Um, I would say I could count on, on two fingers the people who are, are still conversant with me who know about teaching in St. Paul schools. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas prior to the prior to this, I had hundreds and hundreds of friends on a first name basis. Um, there's a lot of people who agree that what I went through was atrocious. They have no doubt in their mind. But but Theo made mistakes. You know, as would be their would be their aim. My fa I have family members and cousins who were in teaching who have turned their backs, I, um, and just skidded off the end of the woke left and believe that. Racism is systemic. It's in our hearts. It's in our water and air that we breathe, and um, and that I made mistakes for not acknowledging how hard it is for our darker brothers and sisters. And I'm just not all about that identitarianism anymore. <clears throat> it's um, it's astounding to me the the, the kind of cowardice I think um, within education. We can talk about. Um, you know, the things we've seen, um, the things that hurt students, the the anti-racism kind of propaganda, and, and people hear that and they're like, whoa, they're shocked. Um, and that's, you know, we only talk about the tip of the iceberg sometimes. There's so much to talk about. Right, and yeah. when you think about that and, and you talk to other teachers and they're like, yeah, yeah, I know, it's, it's, it's terrible, it's a mess, it's a broken, rotten system. And they're bringing in these ideological mandates that are increasing racial hostility. And then you ask, where, where's the rest of the teachers? Like, no, I mean, I've, I've said this to you, Paul, a lot. Like, how many of us are there that, like, are actually openly willing to speak out and talk about this in a public forum and address the public? I mean, it's like me, Paul, Theo. Daniel Buck, Tony Kinnett, Ramona Bessinger. I mean, there's, you know, there's a few others. I'm like, that's it? Yeah. Millions of teachers? That's it? 
that's how hard it is for the media to try and dig people up who will talk because there, there may be thousands, if not tens of thousands of teachers who have been racially mistreated for their melanin in their skin. There are only the Paul Rossies and Franks and Theos and Ramonas willing to talk about it. There are people in other fields that you have to like go out to Nicole Levitt, a lawyer in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she's a huge hero. And, and some of the parents who are willing to speak up, sure. um, Nicole Solas, um, and uh, more power to them. Um, Gabby, uh, mm-hmm. out in where, Las Vegas or wherever. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, huge heroes. They, they've done so much to, to help. Um, it, this is interesting. I mean, I'm, I have to say that I, I've, I've always been a liberal person and I guess I just cannot completely uh, um, beat it out of myself. Uh, my parents were um, very liberal and raised us totally BFL in the, in the 60s and 70s. And as much as I despise the public schools for what they do to kids and what, how much they abuse <clears throat> us, I think out of the three of us, I might be the one who just won't let his tentacles loose from the grip of the public schools and wanting to return to a way. Maybe it's because of my age. I'm older than you guys. Um, that I I see things better back in the old days, you know, when we had chalkboards, you know, and damn it, we had times tables or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, all that stuff was before my time too. But still, I... I mean, what's unbelievably ironic about about this push for anti-racism now is that it has become a huge philanthropic push with um, Black Lives Matter running the Minnesota Parent Union and trying to push to take families out of the public schools and into charters. We have the most woke charters networks in the cities that exist anywhere. They're all about, um, they're all about anti-racism and Kendi and um, D'Angelo. That, that's everything they're about. Even our Catholic schools have departments of anti-racism in them. Um, so I think that to, I'm of the mindset that to ditch them, um, which a lot of people have done, we've lost tons and tons of kids in both the cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul to charter schools and private schools is not really an escape from from wokeness, at least not here. Um, I don't know what you guys think. I, I agree with that. I think that it's seen as a silver bullet and it's, it's you know, it's clearly, it's not. Um, uh, it is, it's, a, it's pervasive in the culture. So if you wanna create a real marketplace with choice, you have to have real alternatives. And if you have this monoculture where this is driving um, the driving vision and mission of these schools, well, then you, you're not going to get that. You need to have real market entrants that are offering an alternative. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you do that. That's a, that's an economic problem. You know, I don't, I don't know how you solve that. Well, I think right. we need to, you know, make sure going forward, we need a network and we need to stand together, especially those of us who are in education or have been in education to make sure that there are no more, Theo Olson's like that should that should never happen and it should never happen again and the hard thing is is finding these people 
and letting them know that you're out there. I mean, we exist kind of in this little bubble on Twitter, and, and sometimes people gravitate, they find us, and we can amplify them. But um, I think it's building a louder voice so that when people, especially teachers, do feel attacked, the Bob's coming for them, they're going to lose their jobs, they're going to be pushed out. You know, there's people that have gone through it that have, have fought against it that can give them advice and, and support them and have their backs. Because I think the worst thing you can do is is to retreat, mm-hmm. uh, is to back down. And that's what so many teachers do, understandably. Like, they want to <clears> save <throat> their pensions and their jobs, but yeah. they make themselves so vulnerable and they make themselves such easy targets um, once you start backtracking and apologizing. We're too agreeable. That's the problem. We're, well, we're, yes. we're too caring. We're in the caring professions, and so we, we care. And so that those you're just not the type of pugnacious characters that need that we just we need a new skill set, I guess. Yeah, sure. That's exactly it. <laughs> um, but I, I even in 2016, when I knew that I couldn't talk, I looked at you know text messages of the few teachers who who sent me thumbs up of support, Theo. I, I would think, God, would you guys even join me? You know what it's like. You know what it's like trying to trying to exact these untenable mandates. You know what it's what it's like. You've been threatened over and over and over by special education and by the superintendent of St. Paul Schools. If you join me, that would be that would be two teachers, and maybe we could get one from another high school and another high school, and then there would be four voices. Imagine going out going to the media, despite them mm-hmm. telling us not to go to the media, but everybody was terrified. You know, nobody mm-hmm. wanted to speak up. You don't want to be another Theo Olson. Well, all the institutions seemed to be against you. You had your, even your own union wasn't supportive. Um, right. I mean, that's, this is the institution that's supposed to protect you. And I, you know, I've, <clears throat> I've heard from other teachers privately that that the unions are, are now woke, so you're not going to get any support there. Is no, that true? not at all. They're, they're so wet. They were so completely co-signing onto courageous conversation and um, beyond diversity was what that mm-hmm. morphed into. It's all Glenn Singleton's ideas um, and his cadre of curriculum writers about uh, where you stand on the moral compass and, um, and moral so entrepreneurs. And yeah. Moral entrepreneurs. Um, that there's there yeah there's just no way to to counter any of it i mean yeah when your own lawyer is saying i'm not saying you're a racist but theo you say some pretty racially inflammatory stuff well let me let me i i I, I had when i when i saw it uh counsel um what i heard from many lawyers uh was no i'm not gonna take your case because i have other clients when i pushed them i said why not they said i have other clients um, who wouldn't be happy with this? So yeah, right. This, exactly. You know, that's that's it's really an economic decision on their part. They're not going to stick their neck out to defend someone who you know might turn out to be a racist and or oh. just simply the optics aren't aren't good for them. So the yeah, profession right. itself, the legal profession itself, is compromised. Oh, it's totally compromised. You have to have a guy who's really or a gal who's really um, interested in making a a, a bright uh, marquee above their name mm-hmm. or a shingle above their door who is young and ambitious um there was this young and ambitious attorney who 
entertained my case and totally agreed it was atrocious how I was treated. And he looked at my case for two weeks. And then he finally said, you know what, I've got, I, our, my law firm with my brother um, handles cases too. And I can't really mm. risk my future um, of, you know, trying to both investigate cops for brutality and then defend you would probably be a bad marketing decision. That's the closest I came to finding a lawyer who would actually look at my case. Wow. Yeah. People at are least... such, such cowards today. I mean, what always strikes me is, you know, whether it's in school and there's a discussion with teachers and students about, like, for example, the Holocaust, or people go to Holocaust Museum, they're like, I'd say something. I'd speak up. Yeah, right. I'd do mm -hmm. that. Presentism. You have these, you have these mm -hmm. minor, uh, <laughs> historically minor, like, situations like yours or mine, um, where someone could just, like, say a little something. They're like, oh, I'm too scared. Like, really? So, so you're... You're saying like you, you'll go to uh, a professional development and you'll talk about like how courageous you are and you would stand up if you were at a certain place in history, put your life on the line. But but when it comes to like supporting a colleague or a friend or a family member, you know, where you might risk have a minor risk to like your job security, you're like, well, that's that's the line for me. I mean. If that's the case for most people, we're screwed. I'm glad you brought that up, Frank, because we I had just um, had a teacher we interviewed on uh, on another episode, Larry Malley, mm. uh, who gives that lesson to his students who are so sure that they would do the right thing during the Holocaust and and during slavery epoch. He get, he asked them, you know, are you think of one issue where you would stand up to all of your friends, your parents? And and your colleague, you know, your your peers, um, can you know that that they would disagree with you on, and they and a lot of the kids find out. Well, actually, you know, there isn't. Um, yeah. So you know, it's really it's it, it, it is really illuminating. Um, Theo, I wanted that, to. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Aside from that cocky talk about how kids would have done something different in the Holocaust or in any um, the Red Scare or whatever there's this there's this lens of looking at everything in in a presentist mindset mm. where every single sin of the past must be judged by the the values that we hold inherent today um i just i just heard that the new york new york times was looking into whether or not chaucer was a rapist yesterday and um um i think christina summers tweeted about it and i was like oh my god so now we're gonna and he and they've determined that even though this has been talked about for decades, if anybody studied Chaucer, and I haven't, but um, they would know that that is part of the controversy about him, not everything about him, but it was part of it. And the New York Times determined that no, in fact, he did not rape someone. So ooh, we don't have to kill Chaucer. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Presentism. Oh man. Well, then, then, I mean, if you couple, if you if you combine the presentism you're talking about with this idea that nothing has ever changed, that is, we're still um, as racist as we used to be. Only the outward forms have changed. It seems like a contradiction, no? Yeah, we're allergic. We're allergic to progress. Yeah, I, I progressophobia. Like yeah, there's yeah. No. I like I like when they say things are things are actually worse now. Right, like, because like they're more subtle. Yeah, <laughs> right. they're just. Yeah, it's even worse than actual chattel imagine, slavery. Yeah, going back, 
you know, 1600s, yeah. a slave's being whipped, and you go, hey, hey you think that's bad? No, oh, yeah. Wait, Look at wait, us. Wait till you hear about white people asking if they can touch your hair. I right. Mean, Step into the time machine. And now the, the, the look you would get, I just can't, I just can't imagine. Uh, right. You want to change places with me? Cause yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah it, it might be worse. It, I mean, the past would definitely be worse. We've, we have made progress. Shocking. I know it's, it's a racist thing to say, but we've made progress. Theo, you have a Substack that has a must read article on it about your story. Um, can you can you pronounce the name of your Substack for me? It's it's Hotspur Hotspur Hots, Hotspur in the Henry the Fourth Shakespeare's Henry the Fourth Part One spelling of the name Hotspur, a nickname given to Henry Percy. Um, Hotspur is H O T S P V R R E. It's the way they they spelled it in the oh interesting in, in the first quartos uh, of of that play rather than just S-P-U-R. But anyway. And, um, and one of the things I like about it so much is that you, act, you have real on the ground stories about you know, what, what is it like teaching in a, a very rough school with, with a lot, with so many challenges. Uh, right, right. And, and, and I think it's, it's really interesting to, to look at and a wake up call really for how bad things have gotten. What do you do when Thank you. two scholars pull knives on each other? Well, you must be culturally responsive. That's the main thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right, you must. If, if it's culturally appropriate, if a stabbing is culturally appropriate, well, then who are you to interrupt that discourse? That, that's, how right. these, that's how their culture expresses uh, frustration. Um, right, right. You don't understand just, that. That's just kids making, making unfortunate choices. Think of the trauma they've been through when they stabbed other people or I, when I, they... Yeah. I had that my uh, first year uh, teaching, um, walking down the hall, and there's you know a group of black kids, and they're accosting another black kid, and kind of holding him up, and like you know what the fuck you doing, man? Like we're gonna fuck you up, punk. And like um, I, I went to the uh, principal, and they pulled up the videotape, and they're like, oh, that's that's just how these kids are. That's just how they talk. That's just their way of like, you know, horsing around. I'm like. It wasn't horsing around like they were threatening violence on him. Like, no, no, no. That's just the way they talk to each other. You don't understand. Yeah. yeah right, who are right. you to impose your white norms of civility? Yeah. Um, I mean, and really, the, the cynicism. Yeah, the cynicism and the low ex and the, and the de degraded expectations. It really is racism. It really is shocking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it, nobody calls storm. it out. No, yeah. a perfect storm of lower expectations, rules removed from rule books, and um, blame on white people um, makes a cocktail of complete um, explosion ready to happen. Um, in, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, yeah, never mind. <laughs> it's it's Just, a lot to take in. It's, it's a, a lot, lot to, to go through, go yeah. over, because it is so so such a distortion a funhouse mirror yeah. of, right. of, and, of the way school should be well but, and you uh, want to move on too you want to mm. i've been at this for seven years i guess talking right. about what happened comes to define your life absolutely and uh, yeah but, and you but, don't but want it's, it it's important to you're right you don't want it to but 
you know, I think your story and, and, and what happened to you is important to tell because people need to know that this stuff does happen and it does happen to uh, teachers and um, they need support when it does happen. And, um, you know, we have to kind of form a, as an alliance um, to come to these people's aid uh, because there's nothing worse than, you know, being alone and, and feeling like you have no support and having, you know, kind of a mob of people start to surround you and, and suffocate your life and I think the answer is when you've got other people that especially people that have like a, a platform on social media who can draw attention to it and, and help you kind of stand up against it because that's the only way it'll stop or go away uh, they don't know what to do when when people uh, say no no I'm yeah. not going to be canceled I'm not going to go away they just don't know what to do and and in, in my um case i found that the more i stood up and the more i said no i'm not going to stop i'm not going away they actually would start to back down they try again mm -hmm. sometimes but you know they would hold off a little bit or they'd be more reserved and, and cautious about how they attacked you they'd get a little more sneaky yeah. but that's what i admire about you frank is that you did not back down you continued to speak um i think you're out in front of it before it even as I recall, I think you were out front, outspoken before um, things got to be super publicly known about you. And and so you were kind of leading the way on your vindication. Yeah, um, I try. I mean, that was what I tried. The minute I, I knew that they were on to me, I wanted to get ahead of it as much as I could. Um, and well, that's what bullying. Yeah. Well, I, you know, not as much as Frank, and, and I certainly had a very different environment. Uh, I was teaching in than than both of you. Um, I I didn't we didn't have to deal with really any of the the, the deep challenges of a you know a rough a rough school. But your um, but your essay came out before you were let go. That's it, right. Wasn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah. you were talking about how you heard your name over the loudspeaker or something. Yeah, they about they had what a Mr. Rossi did. You're yeah, they didn't. The they, they didn't name me, although they said there is an individual, uh, a teacher. You know, everyone knew who it was, um, and they had to read this sort of profession of faith and profession of a reassertion of our anti-racist goals, which really aren't goals; they're just premises. Uh, to to every every class simultaneously. And I remember I just was walking around the school, listening to to the, and looking in at the kids. Like I was like. I wonder how the kids are reacting to this. Like, what is it? Is this? And they, you know, they saw me, you know, and they were like, you, hey, um, it was surreal. Um, but nothing, I didn't have to, I, I was not hounded from job to job. Uh, I, you know, I have well, not. You were published by, but... you're published by Barry Weiss and, right? Yes. Yeah, and, yeah. You, and you, you put your yeah. foot down too. I, I think when you kind of put your foot down and stand up. Um... Well, I remember the thing that they, the thing that really got to them was that I think they were expecting me to, to would do sort of what I had done in the past when when I had skirted the pushed the envelope was to, uh, you know, acknowledge my errors of my ways, mm -hmm. um, to to let their moral moral bullying. Uh, get me to capitulate, and when I didn't this time, then they then they said, you know, they kept raising the bar of the accusations, 
to try to bully bully me morally into admitting wrongdoing. And when I when I did not back down to that, um, you know, then they realized I think we're you know this guy is indigestible. Um, we're going <laughs> to have to we're going to have to pass the stone. I, I think is the way. Oh my way. god. Uh, <laughs> oh my God! What a great with, with a with a medical metaphor. Yeah, um, but I think this is like what Frank you did uh, is an inspiration because what do bullies fear most? Bullies fear when you stand up to them. Push back, right? Yeah. When you push back, the bully says, "This is more trouble than I thought of. Than it's worth. How much is it worth for me to to get this notch in my belt? I, you know, I don't think it's necessarily malice which is driving them to destroy us. I think it's more a trophy they're seeking trophies and to and to say look they're going to hold up your head or your scalp and they're going to say i got one um that's the game right i also find a a, a portion of expiation from it sort of trying to uh externalize what's shameful about their own their own divisions and personality and conflicts in their own mind if they could mm -hmm. project it out and find it in paul rossi Frank right. McCormick, that scumbag, then, right, then, right. then they're like, they're, they're absolved, you know? Right. Right. But if you, if, if, if you, if you stand tall, then you become a mirror and they must confront you and they must right. see your humanity. You, they must see, oh my God, this guy is, he's not, he's confident. His frame is strong. I can't get him to, to weaken. Um, and so that confrontation that, you know, without, without resorting, without losing it, you know, without mm -hmm. going crazy yourself, which is tough, um, I think is, is very compelling as not just to the person, but also as a kind of, uh, as a kind of theater for others, right? So people see that and they say, oh, this guy isn't going away. Um, if you go away, then they say, well, maybe he was probably was racist, you know, maybe yeah, there's something right. to it. And the and minute that, you apologize, yeah. that's it. You're, yeah, there's yeah. blood in the water. The minute you apologize, I mean, I have no problem reflecting. Mean, believe me, we've all reflected. We've all thought this through. This is not uh, what do they say, fragility or whatever. Mm -hmm. Ever, I mean, right. I, believe me, no, I, I've interrogated myself down to the bone, um, <laughs> as I think we all have, and and you have, Theo, and and it's just what you're dealing with is is a is an set of, as a religious religious cult. Um, articles of faith, premises mm -hmm. based on on nothing but a narrative, and a few cherry picked facts, which tell a story. Um, yeah. yeah. What What do you you know? I I, I I think this. We could we could say so much more here. Um, I don't know, Frank. What do you What do you think? Yeah, I'm just. You know what humbles me? I think is, and 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 saddens me too is to think about. Um, at the time you went through this, um, what it must have felt like to be alone, because if I, I think if your story had happened today, you know, and we had gotten a whiff of mm -hmm. man, like you would have had an army of people coming up and holding up your back and defending you and things might have turned out very differently. Um, and that's that's the feeling I get. I it's almost like a sense of regret. Like you know, like and that's probably the part of me that likes to fight too. I kind of man, like man, I wish this had happened. Yeah, today. I wish I was there because, like you know, I would have wanted to. I would have like flown out to Minnesota and been like, let's get him, <laughs> like gone against the crowd. Um, you know, <laughs> but you. but it was just yeah. such a 
such a different time. And, and in some ways, that, that should give us some hope, too, that, that things have changed somewhat and that, like, mm-hmm. there are people, maybe not enough, maybe they're not as loud as they should be, but there are now people willing to stand up. And maybe not in education, maybe not enough, not nearly enough, but even outside, there's people to stand up with teachers and, and have their backs. And uh, we just need to keep growing that and keep becoming louder and uncancelable. Uh, yeah. You know, not, not hide from these bullies, challenge them. Right, right. Yeah. You know, make them afraid to, to cancel us. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think you'll find me marginally invested anymore in trying to, in trying to um, raise a voice to this topic because I keep, I keep hoping that not only will I move on, but the country will move on from this this drunken, uh, uh, this drunken frenzy that we're on in trying to lay everything on these power differentials, and yet. It, I'm, I'm discouraged. It, it continues to happen. People continue to be torn asunder by by um, cancellation, which I think is a, such a stupid word. People mm. people lose their lives. People commit suicide, and they they become destitute and lose their homes and their marriages and things over this. It's it's a little bit worse than canceling. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think of what Graham Norton was saying about. In, in the UK about JK Rowling in the last couple of days that and everybody likes, you know, sterming about, about, about how cancellation is not such a big deal. It's just being held accountable. You know? Right. Accountability. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's such a travesty. Um, yeah. I wish, I wish that I had as much hope as, as I used to have. I, I don't much anymore. Um, my life has returned to, one in which I can scrape by and I can pretty much say what I want to say um, publicly without fear of having everything taken from me. I could get fired from the hospital, I suppose. Um, I actually joined the union, my seventh union. And, um, <laughs> and, and it's kind of a, a purest thing to join a brand new union and, um, and argue for the safety of our coworkers, so we don't get the shit beat out of us by our mental health patients um, and stuff like it. I've been I've been punched in the face and been grabbed by the balls and had feces thrown on me and all kinds of stuff. Um, and so it's there's this pureness about this particular union that doesn't have any politics associated associated with it yet. And yet I am the dinosaur of this of this union. Everybody in it is so young and vibrant and and hijab wearing and trans and lesbian and um you know progress pride flag waving and and affirming they're all gender affirming and everything and and yet we all get along despite all of these politics because we're united because we get beat up all the time by mental health patients and so there's this negative in our life that causes everybody to unite and rattle our sabers and try to march on the president of the hospital um, to no avail. But anyway, it's it's really kind of refreshing to and a privilege for me to be a part of this vibrant diversity, which I love. I love diversity, and it's a, I'm totally fortunate to be um, part of this group. But um, I'm sure I am. I'm sure that I am muted, if not blocked and canceled, by half of them because they <laughs> see my shit.
ground. We have yeah, common right. common purpose. Yeah, that's really you know, weird. that's something kind of hopeful about that. Well, yeah. Theo, Theo, we uh, really appreciated hearing your story, and we wish you all the best, and would love to have you come back on and talk with us sometime. Um, I'd love to just shoot the mm -hmm. shit with you guys anytime. Yeah. yeah, it was it was great hearing that. We're glad you're doing well, and um, you know. I know you want to move on from this, but uh, stay involved. You know, I think your, your story is important and, and so is your voice. And um, I think, you, you know, a lot of people need to hear what you have to say. And we hope to get that out there. So thank you. Thank and you, I'm really glad. I'm I, and, once, and once again, that Substack is, ter is terrific. I really urge your listeners to check that, check it out. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Theodoreolson.substack.com. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time, guys.